It's off to Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the dagger? Welcome to the Raptors pod table where there's plenty to go around. So pull up a chair and join in as we dig into the details on all things Raptors. The biggest news, the hottest storylines, the moments that matter. And most importantly, enough Big Bang theories and certifiably fresh takes to last the entirety of the Mesozoic era. And then some, I'm Micah Adams and joining me today, the one, the only Mr. Scott Rafferty. How's it going? I'm doing well, Micah. How are you doing? I'm ready to dive in on Pascal Siakam, man. That's who we're, that's who we're going to talk about today. All things Pascal. We're going to break down his entire year. Will he make an All-NBA team? Whether he or Kyle Lowry is Toronto's MVP. And most importantly, what happens next whenever it is that basketball resumes. But Scott, I want to start uh, just talking about what's happened on the floor. The reigning most improved player and uh, perhaps has, has made another leap, perhaps even larger than last season. What has stood out to you uh, about Pascal Siakam's growth this season? There are a few things, and I'm sure we'll touch on all of them. But where I want to start is just the way how much his game has changed in terms of the way that he is scoring. So last season, he was very much a finisher. Like He, he generated most of his scoring in transition and on like spot ups and things like that with guys kicking to him in the corner making threes making a couple dribbles getting to the basket if you look at his frequency numbers this season it is pretty remarkable how much he's changed like he he's doubled the amount of that he is scoring in isolation the same goes for pick and roll basically the only thing that he's doing the same amount this season as he was last season is scoring in the post and his efficiency is a little over the place. Like he's around league average in isolation scoring, pick and roll scoring and everything like that. But given that this is his first year being a number one option on a playoff team and everything, I don't know how you can be anything but encouraged from what you've seen from him. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, if you were to ask the Raptors with true serum, if they would take this version of that they've gotten out of Pascal Siakam, I think 100 times out of 100, they would say, yes. We'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll give him the, the extension that we gave him, uh, and we'll be happy. I don't think anyone in their right mind projected that he would have blossomed into an all-star starter. Not just an all-star, but like a no-brain, no-doubt-about-it all-star. Uh, and, and what you said, basically, his first year even being given the opportunity— um, so I, I don't know. Is there is there one thing that stands out to you more more than another? I I know we you know we talked about his, the efficiency isn't quite there yet, but to me he's just a, he's he's basically a completely new player uh, than the one we just saw a year ago, which is just ridiculous to think about. It is, and I think his three point shooting in particular is the best example of that because going back to what I was saying before, he's mainly a finisher last year, so. Pretty much all of the threes that he made were catch-and-shoot threes. Most of them were assisted, and most of them were in the corners. And he kind of, that kind of got exploited in the playoffs, particularly in the Phillies series, because the 76ers put Joel Embiid on him and basically just let him take any shot he wants because they, they knew he wasn't comfortable pulling up or creating jump shots for himself. And if he got to the basket, he had to try and score against a 7'2 center who might be the best defensive player in the league when he's actually locked in. This season... There's basically a 50-50 split between his catch-and-shoot and, and pull-up threes. 
Um, he's gone from making one pull-up three all of last season to 46 this season, which is a crazy jump. Um, he's also, he made 17 above the break threes last season. He's made 86 this season and he's shooting 36%, which is respectable, especially given the, you know, the volume with which that it's increased. Um, did you, also did made, you, did you hack go, go. into my, com- did you hack into my computer and steal all the notes that I had? Cause I had all of those exact things you just said, <laughs> where it was well, the his- number one thing I was going to point to is. As just saying he's a different player and different score. Well, and here's the last one, too. This is the big one for me. He had two unassisted threes last season. He's 41 this season. Ultimately, again, like the efficiency is a little up and down. It's not like he's a knockdown three-point shooter. And I think, you know, in the playoffs, I still think that's something that teams might be able to exploit because even though he, he can still, he's comfortable taking those shots now or more comfortable than he was last season, I still don't know if he's a guy who's going to make, you know, three or four in a game and in a way that completely changes the scheme. But again, the fact that he's shown this growth uh, is just so encouraging, I think. It really is. And, I, you know, we saw, I think, some of this in spurts everyone's not not necessarily the, the pull up shooting and certainly not the the pull up shooting, the distance, but a lot of like the playmaking the give the ball to his hands. And uh, I mean, he's become a, a pretty adept playmaker, not just in the open floor, but on on on, uh, you know, the, the short rolls and finding shooters in the corners and, and everything. I've just I've been so encouraged. And I, and I know that there are some limitations uh, and, and we'll get to those certainly later when we, when we talk about moving forward, I, what's remarkable to me is I think that there was a point in time and I, and I, he came back down to earth a little bit. He missed some time. And I think sort of as the book's been written on Siakam teams are have not, not that they figured him out, but I think it's, you know, he got off to such a ridiculously hot first six weeks. I think you could actually make the case, and I believe you did, that for a while there, he was looking like he might win most improved player again. I mean, we were talking about him as like a legit MVP candidate, I want to say, for the first at least month, maybe two months of the season. I remember there was that ESPN poll, and I want to say he, he was fifth. Um, so yeah, and, and I think... Yeah, and by, around- and, by, and by legit MVP, we, we don't mean like he was, he was never like in the conversation as if, hey, Pascal Siakam is going to win the MVP. But you're right, like right there in that four, five, six range. Right, like that, that next tier. Uh, and yeah, to your point, I think we did our awards check-in around Thanksgiving or Christmas. And I had him as my number one for most improved just because I think, you know, we make a big deal out of guys making the kind of leap that Siakam did last season going from, I don't know, like, like a, a bench player, a role player to, to a number two option on a team or something like that or a legit starter. And I feel like sometimes we don't make enough about a guy's making the leap that he's done this year, whether it's, you know, two stardom or super stardom and things like that. I, I don't think he's the most improved anymore. He's dropped off a little bit, like kind of like you alluded to. But he's I mean, he's still in the conversation. I think he's still going to be on the ballot. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. All right. So we're 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 in agreement that he's, uh, you know, leaps and bounds made improvements upon last season uh mostly as a scorer as a shooter uh and and really picking up the slack as being a number one option and doing it really uh in his first season as it so let's now turn the conversation towards the all-nba so uh he was an all-star starter you you start going through the list of forwards where do you see pascal siakam sliding in in the all-nba conversation I mean, I mean, the big question first is what happens with Anthony Davis? Because if he's a center, I mean, he's, he's primarily been a power forward this year, but if, he's, if he qualifies as a center on All-NBA, 
He's going to make the All-NBA first team, I would think, next to LeBron and Giannis because they're the, two fa- they're the top two in MVP candidates. They're going to make the first team forward spots. So if Anthony Davis makes that, it opens up a spot on the second team because I think Kawhi is a lock for one of those spots on the second team. So, right. If Anthony Davis does is a center, it opens up a spot for a guy like Siakam, Jason Tatum, Chris Middleton, those kind of players. If not, I think third team is, I mean, it's, that's the only chance that he has to make it. I agree with you. I, I actually, you know, for a while there, I was thinking that uh, the easy thing would just be to put Anthony Davis as a center. I think most people have, have kind of been thinking that they were doing that. But I mean, really, you really do look at the minutes for Anthony Davis. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. Uh, but 62 of his minutes have come alongside either JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard. So really about two thirds of the time he's been a forward. And, you know, we've seen guys sort of uh, had their positions massaged before, but I would like to proceed forward with this conversation. Just we're, Anthony Davis is a Ford. He's been a Ford, and I, I, you know, push comes to shove. I think that's what they will end up doing, which means that there are, are essentially two spots left uh, on third team All NBA, and the guy, the guys that I have written down for that are Pascal Siakam, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Chris Middleton. Brandon Ingram and DeMontis Sabonis. Did I leave anyone out that you would that you would consider for for one of those two spots? See, to me, it's just four. It's it's Siakam, Tatum, Middleton, and Butler. I I really don't know if Ingram and Sabonis are going to make the. I don't think they really have a case to make the third team over those guys. To me, the you know the other one that I um, was thinking about as well, and I think that he's now just played too much center. Uh, so I, I don't know how much he would figure into this, but Bam Adebayo is another guy that I had sort of circled as a potential forward, but I, I know that he, you know, he's now playing center a lot. Paul George has simply missed too much time. Uh, same thing with Zion Williamson, and, and there are a couple others. We, we can go on down the list. Um, you recently wrote something for NBA.com about the intricacies of what Pascal Siakam making a second team all NBA would mean for the Raptors. And that's what's so important with this Anthony Davis positional thing is really like whether or not voters are, are allowed to put Anthony Davis as a forward versus, versus a center could have long-term in, uh, ramifications for the Toronto Raptors. It can. So if he doesn't make if Pascal Siakam doesn't make an all NBA team or he makes the all NBA third team this season, his four-year extension is going to be, based on current salary cap projections, $129 million. I don't want to get too in the weeds of this, but if he makes an all-NBA second no, I, I want you No, I want you to get in the weeds. That's what we do here on the Raptors pod okay. table. We get in the weeds, baby. If he makes the all-NBA second team, his four-year extension increases to $144.3 million. So that's about $15 million more if he makes all-NBA second team. He makes even more if he makes All-NBA first team and wins MVP, but we can rule that out because as good as he's been this season, he's not going to make either of those. Um, So yeah, you're basically looking at a $15 million increase over the next four years over that total contract if he makes All-NBA second second team this season, which obviously would have financial impact on the Raptors moving forward because that would eat into their cap space. And and it's important when talking about that cap space because, look, the... Uh, the bill is coming due for Fred Van Fleet this summer. He's going to be looking to get paid. Uh, there have been rumors of of potential suitors, maybe even even reaching that twenty million dollar a year range, which we've seen. You know, some guys like like Zach Levine's, but kind of floated around in, in that. And I, you know, I, I don't know if 
if Fred Van Fleet's going to go out and command a four for 80, but all it takes is one team. And if all of a sudden the Raptors are on the hook for an additional 15 million over the life of that contract, which could be, you know, another three or four million dollars uh, at a time in any given season, that could greatly hinder their chances of bringing back Fred Van Fleet. But even if, I mean, I could see a team offering, I don't know, if, if it's two years 40 or two years 50 for Fred Van Vliet, I don't think that would be crazy. Um, two teams in particular that I think, you know, everyone has to keep an eye out for him are the New York Knicks and Detroit Pistons because they're two of only a handful of teams that are going to have cap space this offseason and they both desperately need a point guard. So I think if you're looking at a team that could offer Van Vliet a contract that could make the Raptors think twice about signing him, it's them especially if Siakam does get this All-NBA second team bump because it's going to eat into their cap space. And, and kind of what you were talking to, the decision they're going to have to make is, I, I think it's I think the Raptors want to keep Van Vliet, but if they have to spend more money than they would like to on him, it's going to eat into their cap space in 2021 when they're hoping to pursue Giannis if he becomes an unrestricted free agent. And whether or not you think that's actually realistic and he's going to leave the Bucks and everything like that, they kind of have to make a decision now or this offseason if they want to keep that even an option because, you know, if they're not, if they, they think that they're not actually going to get him or if he's not becoming a free agent, they can spend a little bit more on Van Vliet. But if they want to keep that option open, they obviously have to be really careful about the contracts that they hand out to him, plus guys like Serge Ibaka and Marc Gasol who are also going to be free agents. And the other the other part of this that's that I, I think is, is interesting and nobody really even knows uh, what the the long-term effects will be Make no mistake, the NBA uh, postponing games right now and potentially coming back and playing playoff games with no fans in the arenas, that's good. That, that obviously has a major impact on the bottom line. That has a major impact on the basketball uh, income. And conversely, that could impact the salary cap moving forward. So if all of a sudden the Raptors are, are not only seeing a bump in Siakam's salary, but then the overall pool uh, decreases due to suspended games, an abbreviated season, lack of revenue because of no fans in the stands. All of this sort of has a trickle-down effect. And, you know, like what you said, I, I don't know if it's realistic to expect Giannis to leave Milwaukee, but Toronto has positioned itself uh, to be a potential suitor in the summer of 2021. So it's just, it's just one more wrinkle that I think adds to the domino effect of when you really start stacking all of these things up in a row— that's why when we're having a conversation about like, hey, how many, you know, how many minutes does Anthony Davis play alongside JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard? All those things ultimately matter uh, because ev that ripple effect just goes from team to team, from player to player, and, and really stretches, uh, you know, certainly for this season and beyond into the future. You know what my uh, sneaky favorite team for Fred VanVleet if he leaves the Raptors is, by the way? I want I want this to be sneaky, hot, fiery. Give it to me. The Miami Heat. Ooh, now why is that? So they they've got a bunch of guys coming off their uh off their books this offseason. They're gonna be one of the few teams that does actually have cap space. And they're another team that's been rumored to be linked to Giannis and wanting to pursue him and, and everything like that. So they're probably gonna they might just keep their books open and not spend on a guy like Van Vliet. But I mean, I think Van Vliet would be a perfect fit there. They can give him money. They need a starting point guard. He gives him another playmaker next to Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, a really good shooter. And defensively, I think he'd fit in perfectly. So, I, I, I mean, I want to see Van Vliet return to the Raptors because I think he's just been destined to kind of carry the torch from Kyle Lowry whenever the day is that he's no longer the starting point guard on this team. But if he would leave, 
I mean, I, I'd love to see him be on a competitive team, and I think the Heat have the means to give him the money that he's looking for and the role in a competitive environment, and I, I think it would kind of be a perfect fit. It's interesting. So I, I, I agree. And I think that the, he's the type of person and player with the experience that both Eric Spolster and Pat Riley would, would love to add. I could see him fitting in really nicely uh, with Jimmy Butler and with Bam and, the, and sort of the culture that they have. I, you know, I think when people think of Fred Van Fleet, now, now the first thing they think of is, uh, you know, the, the certainly the standout performance in the in this the back half of that Buck series, and certainly the NBA Finals after after having his son and got a Finals MVP vote from Hubie Brown. And I think sometimes people scoff at the notion of what well, no no one's going to give Fred Van Fleet twenty million dollars a year. Um, and so one of the things that I was looking at, and this is for our, our next discussion, in the twelve games that the Raptors have played without Kyle Lowry this season. Any idea what Fred Van Fleet has put up in those games? Care to take I, would not a guess? Be, I would not be shocked if they are impressive because I remember he had a pretty strong all-star case before Kyle Lowry came back from that injury early in the season because of how well he was playing in place of Lowry. 21.8 points per game, 7.4 dimes, and that's over 12 games during which Toronto went 10-2. and two. That's the type of production that Fred Van Fleet can offer if given the keys and certainly told to, hey, you're now the guy running the show. Now, I, he's not going to be a number one option. He's probably not going to be a number two option anywhere it goes. But I do think that given the opportunity to carry a heavier load, Fred Van Fleet is somebody that is certainly capable of putting up big numbers and 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 really meaningfully impacting winning somewhere and so when you bring up a place like miami to me that makes perfect sense and that makes a lot more sense i, I the, the popular one that's thrown out there is the detroit pistons they've been a team that's been rumored the new york knicks but i'm with you i i kind of i kind of like the idea if he is going to leave toronto going somewhere where there's already a winning infrastructure where he can immediately contribute to sort of pushing a team's nose farther along that line towards true contention. And I think the, thing, the big thing about Van Vliet is whether or not you know, he puts up numbers that you'd expect from someone who's making $20 million a year, if that's what he gets, he's not someone who's going to hurt your team, right? Like he, he's, just, he's a very smart player. He knows how to get to his spots. He contributes in a number of different ways. And he's always been in a winning environment. And I think, even, I, I think ultimately the Heat would be the best situation for him if he were to leave. But even if like a team like New York, like I, I would not be surprised if they throw a lot of money at him because frankly, they need someone like him to start running their offense and things like that just because they've had so many different point guards in and out. And it would really help to have someone who knows what it takes to win running their team. Finally. I agree. Well, that was a, that was a fun Fred Van Fleet, uh, supersized rabbit hole that we went, just went down, but refocusing here back on Pascal Siakam. So we were, we were talking a little bit about before about making that one of those three all NBA spots. How do you think he stacks up to the likes of Jason Tatum and Chris Middleton and Jimmy Butler? It's, it's really difficult. And I, I don't, I, I feel like it might be a cop out to say this, but I, I think we would have just got a much clearer answer over the last 15 games of the season because like if the Raptors finish with the number two seed over the Celtics, maybe that gives him a little bit of an edge over Tatum. You know, do the do the Heat kind of turn it around after that little bit of a lull after the trade deadline, or do they keep on falling? What happens with the Bucks? Do they do they win 65, 70 games? And Chris Milton, who's by the way, did you notice that he's fallen just under fifty, forty, ninety? I know it's a, it's 
<laughs> I, I did. It's, it's one of the, it's one of my my sweet little stats I've been following the whole year. I, I noticed that and I was very bummed to see it. I think he's at forty nine point nine percent shooting from the field, which is is just a travesty. But my, my gut, my gut, I think I would I would have Tatum over Siakam on All NBA. Um, so so if that's a spot on the second team, I, I'd probably lean towards him over Siakam, and then that would bump Siakam Middleton to the third team. Um, it, I don't know. It's really tough because even then, it feels wrong to have Jimmy Butler off of that. But I, I do think it's between the four of them. Like I'm, I'm not really giving much thought to Brandon Ingram, Demonis Sabonis, and the other guys that you mentioned. One of the things that I think is really interesting. I, I was looking at this for a separate piece and sort of laying out the cases for for each of those guys. Unlike you, I actually do think that both Sabonis and Brandon Ingram uh, have a shot here. But that's that's for a different discussion. This is the Raptors podcast. I want to focus on the Raptors. The to me, the really interesting one, and look, I, I think that had the Bucks not fallen off a little bit, I think it would have been really hard to not give Chris Middleton one of those uh, third-team All-NBA forward spots. But with them losing a, losing a little bit, and and you know, I, I think that that fifty forty ninety thing, like it's just like it's it's part of it. It's sort of part of the narrative, as weird as it is to like not be at that statistical threshold it's sort of like when russell westbrook averaged a triple double you're not actually having a better season if it's 10.0 rebounds or 9.9 but it's just one of those little things you can kind of hang your hat on and it's it's part of spelling out the narrative i think siakam is probably going to be pretty safe in here uh alongside jason tatum on that third team i did find it interesting so they are averaging the exact same number of points per game 23.6 they are taking the exact same number of shots a game, 18.9. Siakam shooting 46% from the field. Jason Tatum shooting 45% from the field. They're both just over seven rebounds a game. They're, uh, you know, Siakam's got a, a couple of more assists. So really, like, and it's 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 fascinating because they, they couldn't be more different, I don't think, as players. Stylistically, you watch Pascal Siakam, and he's nothing like Jason Tatum. Yet at the same time, you you kind of look at their production on the whole as the season, and they've quite they've quite literally been the same exact player in terms of what they've offered their teams. And the funny thing is, they've Siakam kind of came out of the gates really hot and cooled off a little bit, and Tatum had a relatively slow start to the season. I know he still made his first All Star team, but his shooting percentages, especially the first half of the season, weren't very good given how much he was scoring and shooting. But then, what was it just before All-Star break, he had that game against Kawhi and the Clippers. And it feels like from that point onwards, he's just reached a level that, I mean, I mean, I think when we did our who are the best players in the league are right now, I want to say he was 10th, 11th maybe, and he was ahead of Siakam. So it's just, it's just very interesting that they both kind of peaked at different times in the season. And to your point, their numbers, especially when you look at them on like a per 36-minute basis and everything like that, are practically identical. Yeah, if if I had to make a guess, I would say that if Anthony Davis slots in alongside Kawhi Leonard, that it's going to be Siakam and Tatum splitting that uh, that third team. If for whatever reason uh, Davis gets voted in as a center, I think Siakam is completely safe. Uh, I, I I like his chances over both Jimmy Butler and Chris Middleton. I've been riding hard for Chris Middleton the whole season, but that, that feels like one of those things where if the Bucks, you know, if we if we either don't you know, we, we come back and pick up right at the start of the playoffs or, you know, we don't finish the regular season. 
I have a hard time thinking that Chris Middleton is, is ultimately going to get there. And, it, and really, it might have been that last week and a half uh, that ultimately cost him an all-NBA spot. One of the other things that I do think is worth pointing out, and this sort of uh, is the bridge and segue into our next conversation here, I wonder if the the idea of if Kyle Lowry were to make an All-NBA team, uh, and I don't really want to di- dive into whether or not that's a thing that is going to happen or not because it's an entirely separate conversation. But let's say Kyle Lowry does make like a third-team All-NBA as one of the guard spots. Could that be something that ultimately hinders Pascal Siakam and the way that voters might look at it and say, we have 15 spots, there's no way we can have two from the Toronto Raptors? I think it could because I was just about to say to you that it all NBA is meant to be like here are the 15 best players in the league right, right? it's a right. little bit different from all-star because all-star the the way that a team is performing on the season usually has a little bit more weight but I was going to say that like it feels wrong when we, when you were saying Siakam Tatum were probably going to make it or be your two that you think would make it I was going to say it'd feel wrong for someone not on the Raptors and the Celtics to make it considering how good they've been this season it ultimately depends on whether or not yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would have to. Look, I haven't given like a, a a strong look at the guards. I know who would be on the first team for me. It would be James Harden and Luka Doncic. But after that, I haven't given much thought of who would be second team on third team. So I don't know how realistic it is that Kyle Lowry could make it. Yeah, I, Kyle, I, Kyle Lowry is, is probably. I, I think Damian Lillard's probably probably a shoe in there, and I, and I would think that Kyle Lowry is right there in the conversation alongside the Chris Pauls, the Trey Youngs, and. And really, I, I actually think it gets pretty thin uh, a lot quicker than, than some might sort of uh, expect or suppose it would. Yeah, it's a difficult one. Uh, what, what would you say to that then, to, to turn it on you? If, if Lowry were to make All-NBA third team, do you think that impacts Siakam and his odds to, to make it? I do. I do. And, and I, I think that that is, is sort of one of the caveats. Uh, and I, I actually do think that Kyle Lowry is going to end up making... Uh, 13 all NBA you start you just you just go through the list of other guards and it's like Kimba Walker missed significant time Kyrie Irving is obviously out of the picture Clay Thompson has not played all year Stephen Curry's been hurt he's that's another spot that's out and you just start going down the list and there just there just aren't that many standout guards uh having great seasons I know Ben, ben Simmons has started to come on a little bit strong and then obviously he went out and missed time so it's like there's this big void of guys that are simply healthy all-star caliber players and that's where I think that Kyle Lowry has an opportunity to sneak in but so let's use this as an opportunity because I, I think that this is an interesting conversation if you had to pick right now who has been the most valuable player for the Toronto Raptors so far this season are you going to go Pascal Stiakam or are you going to go Kyle Lowry? Is it is it fair to say that I think Lowry raises the floor of the Raptors, but Siakam raises their ceiling? Wow. It's so crazy to say that because I was going to say the exact opposite. Really? I think that Siakam, see, I think that Siakam is the floor raiser here. Why, why do you think that? Um... Look, we're we're gonna get on this in the in the last part. I, I think that Siakam has sort of been a uh, because he can get so many things done well within the flow of what they do. Yeah, he's the number one option, but he you know he gets garbage buckets. He gets out in transition. Uh, they can show up on a random night in Atlanta, and Siakam's gonna give you twenty six nine and and five. He's just a 
I think against against a, a lot of the the middling competition and kind of those not throwaway games because nothing is a throwaway game, but I I think you know you don't see too many games out of Siakam where it's like he's two of fifteen or he's four of twenty one right like his quote unquote bad games are are like six of nineteen but he'll still score you know nineteen points and grab six rebounds and get to the free throw line and you know hit a couple threes. So I actually think that Siakam is the floor raiser, whereas to me, Lowry is the guy that his value isn't necessarily as important in the regular season as it is in the playoffs. Case in point being those 12 games that he missed. Uh, I mean, the Raptors went 10 and two in part because they had Fred Van Fleet to sort of step in and play the role of Kyle Lowry. See, to me, I feel like Kyle Lowry raises their floor because of just the way that he sets the tone. Uh, on both ends of the court he's always pushing the pace he's getting guys involved in offense we know he's among the league leaders and charges drawn he's a gritty defender and i almost feel like you could surround him with a variety of different players and as long as he's playing at this level i feel like you have a very high floor as a team the reason i think siakam raises that ceiling is because i feel like maybe not right now so maybe maybe i'm not going around this question right but i feel like if Siakam does, you know, continue to, if he makes another leap, for example, right? Like the Raptors see, uh, future looks much brighter than it does right now. Whereas I don't but, really think like Larry's peaked. We can agree on that, right? Sure. Yeah. But we're talking about right now. We're not necessarily talking about next season or what happened. I mean, I, I literally within the context of the 2019, 20 season, not, not projecting another leap for Siakam, but what he is right now, uh, would you say that he's been more important to the team's success in Kyle Lowry? It's funny. If you look at the on-off numbers, it's clearly Siakam. I, I think their offense improves by like six points per 100 with him on the core. And it's like, I want to say it's like two with Lowry. Probably should have these numbers pulled up. But I did look at it beforehand and, and even defensively, the numbers are better. And that's not everything, right? You, you can't put, you can't base a whole argument based upon off numbers and things like that. It, it's just a really tricky question to me because... I mean, I mean, would you have Kyle Lowry on your, let's say you're listing one through 10 on your MVP ballot, would you have Lowry there instead of Siakam? I don't, I don't think I would. And I guess that's my way of saying that I think it's Siakam. It's funny. I'm, I'm about to contradict myself because I, so I, I pulled up those on off court numbers, which are really, if you just look at those and nothing else. And again, that's a really dangerous thing to do, but we're going to do it anyway. So who cares? Um, the Toronto Raptors have been 6.6 points per 100 possessions better with Siakam on the floor than when he's on the bench. That is the best mark uh, of anyone on the team, of, of any of the rotation players. I, th- I think Malcolm Miller is actually higher, but obviously that's uh, just, we're not going to go down why that's the case. Uh, and then you look at Kyle Lowry. They've actually been better with him on the bench. They are plus 6.1 with him on, plus 6.4 with him off. I think that speaks volume. This, uh, again, we were talking earlier about how well Fred Van Fleet played in the 12 games that Kyle Lowry missed. Uh, and then you just look, if you just look at the games that they have missed overall, you know, we mentioned that the Raptors went 10 and 2 in the 12 games without Lowry. Uh, they went to 6 and 5 in the 11 games that Siakam has missed. So just going by that, you would say, well, it's it's Pascal Siakam, and, and I, I would I would also throw in, I think that Siakam is a harder player for this team to replace than Lowry. They have another plug and play point guard, whereas Siakam misses time, and then all of a sudden you're asking for 
OG Ananobi to start doing more. You're asking for the other bigs to start scoring more. You're asking for Serge Ibaka to carry a heavier load or Rondé Hollis Jefferson or guys that really aren't suited to play that role. And then yet, you look at something like real plus minus and Kyle Lowry rates just ahead of Pascal Siakam. He's 10th in RPM Siakam, 13th. And, and really to me, and this is sort of what I was getting at when I mentioned Siakam as sort of the floor raiser. If you look at the games that have mattered the most to Toronto, and, and, and particularly the games that will mean the most moving forward. So against the other top five teams in the East, if you look at what each of them has done against Milwaukee, Miami, Boston, Indiana, and Philly, Kyle Lowry's just been a much better player than Pascal Siakam in those big games. Kyle Lowry, 21.7 points, eight dimes, four and a half rebounds, shooting 44%. Pascal Siakam in those same games, scoring less, right at 20.6, 7.5 rebounds, just 2.3 assists per game. With as many turnovers as assists, that's not great. I, I We've gotten into this before about how Pascal Siakam has not been the same player when they've played other good teams. Kyle Lowry has not only been the same player, he's been a better player. Uh, the, the brighter the spotlight been, the uh, the better that Kyle Lowry's been. And that's sort of, to me, where I point and see not necessarily empty stats for Pascal Siakam, but I point to Kyle Lowry being the heart of that team and really stepping up when it matters the most. And that, for me, is why I think that Kyle Lowry uh, is more so the MVP than Pascal Siakam. And I think that's just the next thing that, like the next leap for Siakam to make, right? Because what you were saying, he he's literally he dominates every single, I don't want to say losing team, but but basically not title contending team. He get he puts up huge numbers, uh, and you can count on him in that regard. But it's it's those better teams, and he basically struggles. The players he struggled to score against this season are basically defensive player of the year candidates. When you talk about guys like Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, like everyone struggles to score against them, but. The Raptors also need Siakam to be able to score against them if they're going to, you know, compete for a championship while he's their number one player. Um, so for me, like, it, it's clearly something that he needs to work on. I'm not necessarily discouraged by it because I still think he's taken such a big leap this season and a bigger leap than anyone could have seen. Like, like one of the things that, that was crazy to me when looking up some stats for him, do you know what his usage rate was in crunch time last season? I don't. Give it to me. It was 13.7%. Wow. Okay. That's it? This season, it's 33 and a half. That's that pretty is, remarkable. That is a tremendous leap. And I, I think ultimately, again, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that we were wondering if Pascal Siakam could be an all-star this season. Like, that's what we were talking about him coming into this season. Yeah. And he was an all-star starter. We're talking about him potentially making an all-NBA team. I think, I think if anything there is to take away from the season is that he, he's good enough to play at this level and he still has a level that he can go to. And I think based on how much he has improved throughout his career each and every season, I, I think he can get there. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, a guy that's ever up for a legitimate MVP candidate and things like that. But I do think he, can, he still has another level he can get to. Well, I think if you're a Toronto Raptors fan, you're hoping that in two years' time, he's the second best player on the Raptors alongside Giannis Antetokounmpo. Which they, that would be pretty fun, let's admit. That would be fun, but they're also both power forwards, so... Uh, they I figure mean, it out. No, I, I, Giannis, is, you know, Giannis is a sinner. You know where I stand on this. I, unfortunately, I do know where you stand on that. I, who knows? <laughs> where the NBA is trending, maybe Giannis will just be a full-time center um, so, in two years' time. 
so what what gives you confidence about let's 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 talk about the sort of the, the next steps for Siakam because we've 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 seen sort of this is two straight years and really three straight years when you when you think about it but really two standout straight years where he's made a noticeable jump where he's evolved as a player what gives you confidence in his ability to do it yet again to really I don't it's hard because he's already an all-star starter so like what's the is like the next step like him becoming an MVP because I, I I personally don't think he can get like that far so I wonder like what like what is that next step from all-star starter if not to a level of where he's in like legitimately could win an MVP like wh- where do you think that next step is and why are you confident in his ability to get there well, I think like you were saying, he he's an all right now he's probably an all-star starter against what, 20, 25 teams in the league and I think he needs to be able to be that same caliber of a player against the 76ers of the league, the Bucks of the league, the Lakers, the Clippers and all that. I I think ultimately that's the next step for him. And the reason that I'm optimistic is just because the amount of growth that he has shown over the last 2 years. Again, like this is he's doubled the frequency with which he's scoring in isolation and as a pick and roll ball handler this season. He's doubled it. And he's around league average in terms of efficiency. But for a guy who's doing this, this is all entirely new for him. It, it's, it's incredibly impressive what he's been able to do. And I think he's only going to improve and get better at those things. I don't think he's ever going to rank in like the 80th or 90th percentile in isolation scoring. Like I, I don't see him becoming James Harden. But if he can become a guy who can create his own shots more consistently there. And I think this year is important for him because he's, he's understanding what he has to do to kind of beat those, the Giannis's when he's one-on-one against them and Anthony Davis and things like that. And he can learn and take away from it. But I just think it'd be naive to think that given how much the monumental leaps that he has made in each of the last two seasons, maybe he doesn't have another leap like that in him, but I think it'd be naive, naive to think that he doesn't have more improvement left. Yeah, and, and really, it is it is in that margin uh, against those those truly other great contending type teams where the improvement lies, and that's really I I don't think necessarily on a on a per game. I, I look, I think that there's a chance that in two years he's a markedly better player, even if the overall sort of per game stats and it might not like leap out and be that obvious. Uh, to the naked eye, but but I think that that's sort of a transformation that will kind of have to happen a little bit beneath the surface and is something that I think would manifest itself really not until we get to the playoffs. If if the Toronto Raptors built around Pascal Siakam start getting knocked out in the first year every year, right, there will be a point in time where we point to him and start having a conversation of, well, you know, he's, he's a really nice player, but he's really a, a second or third guy. Uh, so to your point, whether or not he can start bringing it against the, the best teams is really, I think that next step, I'm not sure if he could get there or not. I do think it's really interesting that, um, so if you go on to basketball reference and you sort, you take his game log and you sort them greatest to smallest in terms of game score, which kind of one, uh, one stop shopping for basically how, how good a player played in the game. If you take his top 18 games. The Raptors are 18-0 and in those 18 games. So basically, he plays really well, the Raptors are going to win. Now, what's also interesting is among those 18 games, just two of them, just two are against teams that right now have a winning record. So that, I think, points to some of what we were talking a little bit earlier about how he brings his best against sort of the just 
kind of those throwaway games against sort of non-playoff teams, bottom feeders. Um, and I think that that really kind of just like slaps slaps you in the face and really hammers that point home. And to your point, the the on the uh, sorry his his numbers and wins and losses this season are stark to say the least. He's averaging. 20, 25 points, eight rebounds, and four assists in wins. And the big thing that jumps out to me is he's shooting 38% from three. If you look at losses, his numbers fall to 20 points per game, seven rebounds, and three assists. And he's shooting 29% from three. So I, I just, ultimately, that's what it comes down to for me. Like, he, he has to be this player that the Raptors can count on against the best teams in the league. Because even when you look back at the playoffs last year, there were games where he didn't play very well in the second round, third round, and finals, and things like that. And although they were a much better team when Pascal Siakam was, you know, firing all cylinders and things like that, they didn't rely on him to to score twenty plus points a game, right? Like they could still win right. games with him not playing well. That's no longer the case, really, right? Like in, in the playoffs, like you were saying before, if they get in the second round against Philadelphia and he's matched up with Joel Embiid, and Joel Embiid can defend him in a similar way that he did last season, and Siakam can't respond, like the Raptors are losing. There's no way. There's no way around it. Because they can't have a guy like Kawhi Leonard anymore who can go out there and score 30, 40 points a game and, and put the team on his back. Like, that's, that's who Siakam needs to be moving forward. So, so go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, and I, I do think he has the potential to get to that level. Again, like, the, the leaps that he's made over the last two, two seasons are incredible. And I still think he's just going to continue to improve because that's the player that he's shown he can be. All right, so let's end it right here. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, uh, okay. sort of spinning this forward. Currently, Impredictable has the Toronto Raptors with a 92% chance of finishing with the two seed. That obviously uh, comes with the massive caveat that we have no idea when we're going to return, how many regular season games are going to be played, if any regular season games are going to be played. Heck, we don't even know if there's going to be playoff games, but let's let's just take it. Let's lock them into the two spot now. I think that you and I both agree that, that Pascal Siakam could be the best player in a series against either the Brooklyn Nets or Orlando Magic. Could Pascal Siakam be the best player in a playoff series against either the Boston Celtics or the Philadelphia 76ers in the second round? Given what we've seen from Philly this year, I would not be surprised if he was the best player in that series, although I still think Joel Embiid is the better player when he's you know firing all cylinders and is at his peak and everything. Boston is a little tricky for me because for a lot of the season, I had Siakam ahead of Tatum. But the leap that Tatum made after the All-Star break, he's, he's jumped into being the superstar level. And I think he can create shots for himself that Siakam can't right now. And they're the types of shots that he's going to need to be able to create for himself for him to reach his peak. And defensively, I, I think Tatum is already, what, do we want to say he's a top five, defend, top five, ten defender in the league? An All-NBA yeah, defensive I think, kind of guy. So I think looking, that's at both, looking at both ends of the court... I, I would go into that series thinking that Tatum would be the player who would probably be the best player in the series. Although, again, like I wouldn't be totally shocked if Siakam did outplay him. I just think Tatum is a safer bet there. I think for me it's a situation where he might put up the best numbers in a series. I don't think Pascal Siakam can actually be the best player in a series against either of those teams. Now, ultimately, he's lucky enough to play on one of the deepest teams in the league, maybe the smartest team in the league, probably the best the, the the most well-coached team in the league so i think sometimes the playoffs ultimately boils down to whether or not we have the best player and if the answer is yes we win if the answer is no we lose i think for the toronto raptors in a series against boston or philly 
they could probably overcome that just with a combination of of all the different pieces that they have and the different ways that they can beat you and different shot makers and creators uh, and just relying on that championship experience. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I, I think I, I have a hard time seeing him outplay Jason Tatum, and, and I don't I don't see how he could honestly outplay Joel Embiid for an entire series either, uh, if healthy. But that's that's just where I land on him moving forward. That's fair, and I know you're not a big Ben Simmons guy, but like that that's another guy that you know he he would be compared to in that series because there's a chance that they would be matched up together with Ben Simmons guarding him and potentially him guarding Ben Simmons. So, you know, I, ultimately, the, the Sixers have been such a mess this season that that's why I kind of just, I, I think Siakman could be the best player in that series. I still think Embiid is better, but I do think he could be the best player in that series. Tatum is just, is just unbelievable. The role he was on um, heading into the season being suspended was incredible. You know, he, he's well on his way to being an all-NBA second-team kind of guy, first-team kind of guy moving forward. He's younger than Siakam. Um, he, he's just, he's incredible. Well, there you have it. That is our kitchen sink on Pascal Siakam for today. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the Raptors pod table. We will be here all spring and summer long and into the fall. We'll be talking hoops. There might not be games right now, but that will not stop us bantering, chatting, debating, diving into all the stories that Toronto Raptors fans care about the most. For Scott Rafferty, I'm Micah Adams. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time right here on the Raptors Pod Get that garbage out of here!